fathers talk to their sons about many things. Sometimes it's important. Sometimes it's superficial. Sometimes it's spoken. Sometimes it's written down. I have a good relationship with my dad. And a few weeks ago, over Thanksgiving, we had a conversation. My dad told me, just a few weeks ago at Thanksgiving, I'm not going to have a job in a few weeks. I've always known my dad to have a job. He said, I'm not going to have a job in a few weeks. But I wasn't shocked. This was retirement. He had told me before. Retirement's coming. We, we keep getting closer and closer to retirement. And this Thanksgiving, he shared some concrete details with me that, that sunk in for the first time. I'm going to retire in a couple of weeks. After nearly two decades of hard work as an accountant and a CEO at Kentucky Science and Technology Center, I'm proud to say my father, John Worley, he's leaving on a good note. His integrity is intact. His reputation has been well-kept. He's worked hard. I'm proud of him. I'm proud of his Christian witness. I'm proud of the way he's leaving. I'm proud of the provision growing up. But talking with him over Thanksgiving, one of the questions I asked him was, Dad, who's going to fill your shoes? What's going to happen after you're out of your role? He shared a name or two of, of what might happen. But we quickly moved on to other things about food on the table in front of us, sports. But what if he would have said, son, you're going to be working in my shoes. That would have been a shock to me. Here I am working in Austin, Texas, pastoring, loving this flock. I have nothing to do with finances and accounting and managing people and assets. But can you imagine if I did do those things and I was with my dad for Thanksgiving and he really was handing over his position in his office to me or my brother Evan? Could you imagine the weightiness of that conversation? Could you imagine what my dad would not only tell me about the inner workings of the company and how to succeed and his hopes and desires, but could you imagine the things he would pray for me those short moments after he passes the baton? That's the exact historical situation we're going to look at in Psalm 72. King David is not doing little r retirement. It's that capital R, rest, R-I-P. He's, he's moving towards death. He's handing the baton to his son Solomon. Solomon is going to be king. David knows it. And a weighty prayer ensues. Psalm 72 is stunning. Psalm 72 is a prayer for King Solomon's reign. It's hope for establishing a Davidic dynasty. It has unbridled expectation. There's a type of beauty here and a leadership here that's hoped for and majestic. A type of king is called for here, as verse 11 will tell us, that is a king of kings. And David writes a prayer for his son. And we have the opportunity to see it today, consider it, and then consider, does it matter to our lives in the year 2018 that we would read about a father's son prayer moment? Turn with me to Psalm 72. This is on page 485 in the Bibles under the seats in front of you. 
Psalm 72. And before we read, take note that the, the beginning words say of Solomon and the last verse says the prayers of David. So which is it? Did Solomon write it or did David? Well, here's what we can know for certainty. This psalm is aimed at Solomon's reign, and it likely came from David. Either David penned this prayer himself, or he told these things to Solomon and Solomon wrote it down. Either way, it was intended to be prayed by Solomon, and not just Solomon, but for the whole nation. The Psalter was to be prayed and sung in worship. And this psalm would not only inform people's minds, it would, it would tune their hearts to, what is the king supposed to be doing? What's a good king? How do we know? What's his agenda supposed to be? What's he supposed to establish as king? And it's my prayer this morning that as we look at Psalm 72, we will see the implications for a present day king who's reigning. And just like the people of Israel, it'll change what we hope for, what we pray for, what we spend our time doing, what we watch for, how we interpret events of the world. All that can happen if we pay close attention to Psalm 72. So let's read together Psalm 72. Of Solomon, give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people Give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him. May his enemies lick the dust. May kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls. And the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually, and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of the mountains may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon, and may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Eighteen times in that short passage the word may was used. This is a prayer, and it's, may this happen, may this happen, may this happen to the king. In other words, 
I hope this happens. It should happen. It ought to happen. This is a glorious prayer. But it raises a few questions for us. Did these prayers that David prayed for Solomon and taught to Solomon, that Solomon prayed and the nation of Israel prayed, did they come true? Completely? Partially? Just a little bit? Not at all? And more than that, is there still a royal son reigning today? Or did these hopes and dreams and expectations just fade with Solomon? What would we even look for today to see if there is a royal son reigning? And to be frank, who cares? How's that going to help me Monday morning at work if things are coming true of Psalm 72? How's that going to help me Wednesday evening when I can't go to sleep? What's Psalm 72 going to do for me then? Well, these kind of questions we're going to answer. So consider this passage with me. We're going to think about three main things that are established by the kingdom of this royal son. Three things. First, this is a prayer that there would be a kingdom that establishes human flourishing. It's a prayer for human flourishing. Secondly, this is a prayer that the royal son would establish a kingdom of boundless dominion. That he would establish boundless dominion. And then lastly, it's a prayer that this royal son would establish a kingdom of preeminent glory. Preeminent glory. We see human flourishing in verses 1 through 7. Verses 12 through 16. And right in the middle of the human flourishing, we're going to see verses 8 through 11 that describe boundless dominion. And then the psalm closes out 17 through 19. Those verses speaking of preeminent glory. So first, human flourishing. You want to flourish, don't you? You want to eat lunch after this service, don't you? You want to get good rest tonight? You don't want to have to worry about where money's coming from, the next paycheck. What causes human flourishing? What, what produces it? Is it military might? Is it educational privilege? Status? Is it just good relationships? What causes human flourishing? Well, that's a complex question. Uh, but there's three aspects within human flourishing that I want to draw your attention to. Notice again there, uh, verse 1 of Solomon. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. One of the first things that have to happen for human flourishing is for a king and those in charge of the law to have a righteousness that's not twisted to their own agenda. So this psalm begins with a prayer, Lord, would you give your righteousness and your justice to my son Solomon? If Solomon's praying it, he would say, Lord, would you give me your justice and your righteousness? If the people were praying it, Lord, please give our king your wisdom, your righteousness, your judgment. The poor and the needy would especially pray this. Follow your eyes along with me as I call out these verses that deal with the poor. And we want to connect 
the poor, human justice, the law. We want to tie these together for a moment. Verse 2. Look at verse 2. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. This is in verse 4. Verse 4. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. Give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. Look at verses 12 and 13. He delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. So these verses hope for a king who wouldn't do anything involving bribery. A king who would show no favoritism. Imagine if you came to your pastors and you had a pressing counseling issue and we played favorites. Now, how much are you going to pay me? Nah, I don't, I don't like you very much. That's pretty corrupt, isn't it? We just intuitively know that smells wrong. Well, the king, even though he may think he is the law and he can decide whatever he wants, in Israel, in God's agenda, the king was to have God's justice. From top to bottom, he was to see everyone as made in God's image and protect them by the law. How tempting it would be for a king at this time to take a bribe or to only handle the cases that were politically advantageous to him. This was a real threat, a real danger. Did Solomon live out this prayer? He did. You remember when Solomon became king, he prayed for wisdom, and there was that case of those two women who each had a baby? Two women living in a house. One has a baby. The other has a baby three days later. At night, one of the children dies. Maybe... The mother rolled over on the child, suffocated the child. You don't know how. One child died. In the morning, one of the mothers began to nurse their child and claimed, you killed my baby and you switched it. It was this confusing court case. Two women, two infants, one infant dead. Who killed the infant? Did they switch infants? What's going on? They bring this case to Solomon. You know this, doesn't he? He says... Bring the child to me. Bring me a sword. We're going to cut the child in half. One of the mothers yells out, Don't kill the child. The other mother cried out, Yes, he doesn't deserve to live. And in an emotional trap of wisdom, Solomon immediately revealed who was the true mother who still loved that child and who had bitterness and anger. And we remember that for his wisdom. But you know what we often forget about that story? These women were prostitutes. These weren't women that had high-standing husbands. These weren't women with this sparkling, dazzling track record. These women weren't wealthy. They were prostitutes. They were low. They were despised. But Solomon doesn't show favoritism. He treats them with wisdom just like he would treat any other high-ranking official. So yes, Solomon is living out human flourishing for the needy, for the poor, for those of lowest social standing. Verse 14 tells us, from oppression and violence, he redeems their life. Their blood is precious. So the king saw all blood as precious, whether it's the blood of a prostitute, the blood of a prince, it's all precious in his sight. But, What kind of human flourishing would happen if 
everybody's given fair, equitable justice, but nobody can eat. Everybody's starving. Human flourishing needs more than just good laws and good execution of those laws, right? We need some kind of food, shelter, clothing. And that's what's prayed for. So look with me in verse 3. Verse 3 and verse 16 speak of wealth and abundance and crops. Look at verse 3. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. We drive by and we see places like HEB and Sprouts and Whole Foods and Trader Joe's. They would walk along and see fields and mountains and marketplaces. You know the angst and the anxiety when the grocery store runs out of that thing you were going to get? You needed it for a recipe? You're craving it? One of the prayers of the king is that things would be so abundant there would be no lack in the markets, no lack in the fields. The hope and prayer here is that human flourishing would be prosperous. The crops would be plentiful. You might expect to see a verse that says, may there be no famine while the king reigns. Well, verse 6 does say, may his reign be like rain that waters the earth. Well watered. The land was capable of producing enormous yield. When the 12 spies entered this land, you remember that cluster of grapes was so large it had to be carried on a pole between two men? This land can produce. It's flowing with milk and honey. Verse 16 says, May there be abundance of grain. On the tops of the mountains may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon. Lebanon was known as it, with choice cedars. He's praying... May the fruit and the crops be as tall and robust and majestic as the cedars of Lebanon. May the food be like that. And not only the crops, but he prays that people would flourish. People would flourish with good crops because they could sell the crops, they could trade them with other nations. So wealth is tied up in the agriculture. Notice the end of verse 16. May people blossom in the cities like grass of the field. So just like there are countless blades of grass, he's praying that just like all the grass gets what it needs when it rains, all the grass grows, may everybody in the city prosper. Did this happen? People blooming and blossoming and crops and abundance and bounty. Yeah, First Kings tells us, it says, Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea during Solomon's reign. They ate and drank and were happy. And it tells us that Solomon's provision for one day was 180 bushels of fine flour, 360 bushels of meal, 10 fat oxen, 20 pasture-fed cattle, 100 sheep, besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fattened fowl. 1 Kings 4.22 There was a lot of food going around. Things were prosperous. That's just one day for him and his officials. Don't think your Thanksgiving, no matter how good it was. Think if all of us had all the food from our Thanksgivings and we brought them all here and set it out in front of us. That's how things were every day. That's what was prayed for, that people would prosper. But it still begs the question, 
what is human flourishing if we've got good laws, we've got wealth, we've got food? Is that all there is to human flourishing? I would argue no, and this passage would argue no. Verse 3, verse 7, verse 5, verse 15. They all speak of things beyond the physical, and they start talking about things that are ethical and moral and spiritual. I know what it's like to be around those who feel advantaged and privileged and yet empty. When I was a resident advisor in college, I would watch as students would come in, and students would have everything provided from them. Their parents, their grandparents, they would bless them. They'd buy them new clothes. They'd set them up with a meal plan. They'd give them money to buy other meals in between. They had scholarships, so they didn't even pay for class, and then they got a stipend on top of that. They had a roof over their head. They had everything. And yet they would come to my dorm room as an RA, We were counselors. And they would begin to tell me how their moral decisions throughout the week, their ethical choices has has caused them to be bankrupt spiritually. Filled with regret and pain and poor choices. You and I know this to be true, don't we? That just having a lot of stuff, that's not really human flourishing. That's what's prayed for here. Look at verse 3. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people, and the hills in what? In righteousness. That's how the end of verse 3 finishes. In righteousness. That word for prosperity in verse 3, it's the word shalom. You might have heard that Hebrew word before. It means a total wholeness, a completeness, a prosperity that's holistic. Nothing's lacking. There's harmony. There's well-being. Not merely economic or material, but also in honest and good relationships. That word's used again in verse 7. If you look at verse 7 there, in English it says the word peace. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound. That's that word shalom again. May shalom abound till the moon be no more. So this shalom and and well-being is prayed for. It's a spiritual side as well of human flourishing. Verse 3 ends with the word righteousness. Verse 5 speaks of fearing God. Verse 7 speaks of the righteous flourishing. Verse 15 speaks of prayers and blessings. He's praying that the people would not only prosper, but they would have spiritual vitality that changes the way they live, their morality. Just a question for you. If we looked back at your life this past week? What kind of prosperity were you longing for? Were you working for to maintain? Were you hoping for? What type of flourishing have you been craving lately? Merely physical or spiritual? As good as human flourishing is, there's more going on. The human flourishing falls on either side of something powerful, and that's dominion. That's also what's prayed for. Look with me in verses 8 through 11. May he have dominion from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. Verse 9, may desert tribes bow down before him, 
and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. We get something here, a taste of the geographical scope and the tribute that is prayed for that would be brought to this king. This psalm prays that the king would enlarge the territory of Israel's domain. So this is kingdom advance. Under the reign of Saul, it was near Jerusalem, pockets of resistance. Under the reign of David, it flourished, especially in the south. It went all the way down to the Red Sea. But it didn't go up past Syria. kind of stopped. But then under the reign of Solomon, the kingdom was secure from the south all the way through the middle, all the way up to the river, as this psalm says, the Euphrates River. Solomon expanded the kingdom. Verse 10 says, May kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. We know from 1 Kings that it says, The king had a fleet of ships of Tarshish at sea. Every three years they would come with gold, silver, ivory, apes, peacocks. Tarshish was the farthest known west of the world at this time likely Spain. So not only the territory near Solomon, but from far off, people were giving him attention and bringing him gifts. And then verse 10 says the, uh, not only the kings of Tarshish and the coastlands, but the second half of 10 mentions Sheba and Seba, which are not familiar to us. It's familiar to you if I mention El Paso, San Antonio, Dallas, Houston, Austin, Amarillo, Lubbock, I'm going to stop there. Wake up. You know where those places are, don't you? I just say it, you know right where it is. When they would pray this, they knew immediately, Seba and Sheba, yes, bring gifts. For us, we're like, what is that? This is what we would know as the Horn of Africa. Ethiopia, so past Saudi Arabia, past that, the coast of Yemen, over to Somalia, Ethiopia. This region laid claim to the the vast gold mines and exchange of gold, silver, and precious jewels. And it's a prayer that even there, gifts and tribute would be brought. You know the story of the Queen of Sheba. Royalty from Sheba came to Solomon in his lifetime. And she was amazed at the wealth Solomon had. And she said, it's even better than I thought. Your servants and your men, your maidens, everyone's happy. You've made silver as nothing. Everything's of gold. She brought gifts and spices. This is coming true in Solomon's day, these prayers. All kings would fall down before him. This dominion was vast. And if you were an enemy, if you didn't give tribute, notice verse 9 says, enemies lick the dust. This is bringing that echo of Genesis 3.14. God is gracious. He gives opportunity for people to bow the knee and give tribute. But he will not overlook rebellion. Enemies lick the dust. So what's the effect of combining boundless dominion that's powerful and human flourishing? When you combine them, it creates preeminent glory. That's the third thing that's prayed for. Verses 17 through 19. Preeminent glory. Verse 17, may his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, 
the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Second Chronicles tells us about Solomon's life. Chapter 9. King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. All the kings of the earth sought the presence of Solomon. He had preeminent glory during his day. But if you remember his life, his glory began to fade, did it not? His dominion, the stretch of his dominion, started to outstretch the integrity of his heart, and he began to acquire foreign wives, just like he would acquire foreign gold and spices. The human flourishing that he so worked for was actually being corrupted by his own example, giving his heart away in idolatry. He couldn't control the glory that he had. He died. The kingdom fractured at his death. So this preeminent glory, although we get a taste of it in Solomon, it quickly evaporates. Something puzzling happens, though. Did you notice the the riddle or the problem that comes about when we combine verses 17 and 19? Verse 17 says, May his name endure forever, his fame continue as long as the sun. That imagery of as long as the sun or as long as the moon throughout this psalm just show longevity, endurance, consistency with every generation. Verse 17 wants the king's name, the royal son's name to be exalted. But then in verse 19, we're talking about the Lord. And we know that because verse 18 tells us we're talking about the Lord. Verse 19 said, blessed be his glorious name forever, and it's talking about the Lord. So which is it? Is it a human king, his name forever would be exalted, or is it the Lord? There's another problem. Verse 8, if he's going to have dominion, and it's going to stretch to the ends of the earth, and he's going to have this preeminent glory because his dominion goes out, how can he go through the ends of the earth if also the Lord in verse 19, is supposed to fill his glory throughout the earth. This only happens if the royal son is aligned with God, and this only happens in fulfillment if the royal son is God. Jesus Christ is the God-man. He has preeminent glory. To worship the royal son, if it's God himself, is not blasphemy. It's worship. To bring him tribute is not to be in competition with the Lord. So there's a preeminence and a glory that's on display here that's meant to last forever. The tension is resolved in Christ. If we close today and we wrap this up, we wrap up this psalm and we take it with us, what do we do with it? We sing it as Israel sang it. We pray it as Israel prayed it. We know that it wasn't just for Solomon. Solomon wanted human flourishing, but he could change no one's heart. Solomon wanted boundless dominion, but he couldn't live forever and ensure that it would happen. His dominion actually corrupted his heart. Another new nation acquired another new foreign wife, another new foreign god to worship. So we know this psalm looks beyond Solomon. That's the good news this morning. 
Brothers and sisters, this psalm is about Jesus Christ. Does he not provide human flourishing? The kind that lasts, the kind that's real, the kind that can't be taken away, not just some material thing. He does promise material flourishing and blessing in eternity, in heaven, with him, in fellowship with him. We live in this already, not yet. Already, Christ has renewed hearts and began to let people flourish. We know this psalm looks beyond Solomon, as it's already been mentioned, that boundless dimension, dominion. He couldn't handle it. No human king can handle this kind of dominion and power. Jesus can. Not just every nation might bring tribute to Jesus. It says in the Word, in the New Testament, all nations, people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, will praise Christ willingly. There will be someone from every nation who praises Christ. And it wasn't because a sword was held to their throat as Islam might try to advance. It's because that person willingly found their need for Christ. The boundless dominion here, do you see it? That's the Great Commission going out. It's the Great Commission. All nations. The preeminent glory. What king doesn't want great glory and and praise and fame? Our president now. The president we had before him. The president before that. Everybody wants to have a good legacy. Everybody wants fame if they're in a high office. But no human being on their own can endure preeminent glory and fame because they die. And they can't control what happens after them. But Jesus died and rose again. He's still alive. His fame still continues. His name is still praised. Churches are on every continent. The gospel is going forth to all nations. The glory doesn't fade. The way this psalm helps us out in our daily lives is we remember when we pray, I am praying to the royal son. I'm not praying to some God who's not concerned with things happening in my life. We're praying to the royal son. He offers a way of salvation to you. If you don't know Christ, hear this way of salvation. You bow your knee to him as the king of kings. You stop living for your kingdom, and you recognize he alone will have preeminent glory. And if you don't join yourself to him, you will lick the dust and be destroyed now and then in hell forever. And this is good and right for God to do because we've all rebelled against his kingship. He sent Christ as a king. He really had a crown. It was a crown of thorns. He really had a robe. It was a robe placed on his bloody back. And he really was exalted on this earth, on a cross, where God poured out all his wrath on Christ, a bloody cross, to show how serious his glory is, to provide forgiveness for your sins. And then God proved that he's a worthy king. He proved that Christ really was acceptable. He raised him from the dead. Christ has the power of an indestructible life. As verse 14 said, this king would redeem the blood of those he sees as precious. That's what Christ has done for you. Sing to him, pray to him, 
live in light of being a citizen of this kingdom. Lift your head. When you see Christmas season coming, remember the story? Even as a young babe, the early moments of his life, kings were bringing tribute. The Magi brought their gifts. Jesus fulfills Psalm 72. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for being the God who is the God-man. For being our king. For giving us the great commission to be a part of your kingdom. For giving us something that is beyond our imagination. The advance of your kingdom. Help us to be faithful church goers who see your church, your body of believers as an outpost of your kingdom in this place of rebellion on earth. Lord, we long for the day when your glory covers the earth everywhere. Help us to to trust that you are king. Give us eyes to see your kingdom now. Thank you for allowing us to flourish for eternity with you. All glory goes to your name. Jesus' name, amen.